0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen to Supply Chain Radio. I'm Boris Felgendria, and today I have a very special treat for you. I recently sat down for an interview with Mick Jones. and In the world of supply chain management, Mick is the real deal. Until recently, he was the head of supply chain management at Lenovo. Lenovo is one of the largest and most successful tech companies in the world. They are most famous for their PCs, laptops, tablets, smartphones and servers. The company is based in China, it makes close to 50 billion dollars a year, it employs 33 thousand people and it sells its products in 160 countries around the world. Mick was part of a global leadership team at Lenovo, a group of about 60 top executives, and at one point in time he managed a team of over 500 people and was responsible for a budget of a billion dollars a year. But none of this seems to have gotten to Mick's head. He's one of the most likable, down-to-earth people you'll find in the industry. In part one of the interview, I talked to Mick about how he got started in this business in the first place. It turns out that Mick's career didn't really launch along a linear path. Or as Mick describes it,
1: I sort of ended up where I ended up. Not really planning anything, I just ended up here.
0: And what he means by that is that his first job out of university had nothing to do with supply chain.
1: I was an engineer on a on a sewerage farm, I built a sewerage farm in Leicestershire. If you, mm-hmm. if you know what a sewerage farm is, it's basically where all of the effluent, human effluent goes to get treated. So I've go. moved yeah. from building a sewerage farm in Leicestershire to almost working around the globe managing a 1 billion dollar network just <laughs> incredible it's been
0: yeah what a story that is yeah, yeah. from sewage to to IBM servers
1: yeah you so could you could say yeah. that there's there's a degree <laughs> of similarity that runs the vein that runs through all of it
0: and of course Mick didn't go immediately from building a sewage plant to running the supply chain for Lenovo first he does a pivot and becomes a teacher He's teaching math and
1: science i absolutely love teaching it's an amazing because you given the responsibility for young people and it's the most amazing thing to be given and i i absolutely love teaching everybody remembers three types of teachers they remember the one that was a swine basically <laughs> they remember the one that was an easy pushover and they remember the one that taught them lots and lots and lots and not just about the subject but about other things as well
0: what kind of teacher do you think you were
1: i believe that you can get people to understand and work with you by being pleasant and nice I don't believe that you need to be a complete swine. I don't believe you should be a complete walkover. But there are ways of convincing people to work for you and work with you and listen to you by being a human being, basically.
0: So after four years of being a teacher and trying to help students find their future career path, Mick decides to apply what he's learned to the business world. And he goes into human resources for a logistics company before he reaches a pivotal moment in his career. And he remembers that moment pretty vividly.
1: My boss at the time, Alan Buckle, um, said, we don't want you to, i had been offered a job elsewhere, head of HR on the main board, and uh, he said, we don't want to lose you, what do you want to do? And I said, uh, oh, I'd like to to stay with Excel and I'd like to be in the business side of of Excel. Mm -hmm. He said, name your account. And I said, Marks and Spencers, (laughs) he gave me the account management of the Marks and Spencers uh, account, which was at the time was £220 million worth of revenue. I sort of, you know, the big gulp when, I, when he said yes, because I didn't expect him to say yes. And it was a real <laughs> test of, okay, now you put yourself in the situation, now you've got to work through it.
0: And that's how Mick got started in supply chain management. Excel eventually got bought by DHL. And the work that Mick did there caught the attention of some guys over in China working for a company that at that point was not a household name. This is how Mick remembers when he got that infamous call.
1: Just literally just finished the last week of my MBA course in my hotel room in Belgium. And I got a phone call from somebody that sort of said, you know, you won't know who we are. We're a Chinese company. We've just bought Hmm. IBM PC division, and we'd like you to come and talk to us about working for, for Lenovo.
0: So Mick took that leap, and he started to work for Lenovo. And Lenovo has quite a unique culture, because the company has Chinese roots, but the core of its business stems from acquisitions of U.S. companies, namely Motorola and IBM's PC and server business. So I couldn't really help but wonder if Mick had any anecdotes to share on this type of clash of cultures.
1: We'd just done a, I forget the transformation process we'd gone through. I think it was something to do with SAP. And we successfully moved SAP across into our own SAP. And I I was sitting in a group of people that work for me. And I just hugged this girl next to me and said, well done. And she went, she, she almost, the whole room just stopped and went, ah, it was sort of a, that sort of show of emotion at that time was not really something that you did in the Chinese organization. Very different mm-hmm. now, I have to say. A lot of high fives now.
0: So all of that sounds exciting, right? Big business, international, fast moving environment, different cultures. What's not to like about supply chain management? Yet, for some reason, supply chain management has a bad rep. It's never been seen as a glamorous, exciting, desirable job. And I ask Mick why he thinks that is.
1: It's a marketing thing, Boris. It's nothing else other than a marketing thing. I think we don't market ourselves that well. Mm-hmm. I think we, we have a brilliant profession. The people that, that I've met in supply chain are as bright and as talented as anybody running any company in the world. But I think yeah. that we, we fail to, somehow, we fail to project that to the outside world.
0: So why is that, I wondered?
1: Part of it is us, not telling people how wonderful it is. I don't know why that is. I always tell people how wonderful it is whenever I get the opportunity. Part of yeah. it is I think, is the organizations we sit within. We always tend to be the, you know, sitting just beneath the surface, really, really making stuff work. Yeah. So we're not the glory boys in most organizations. We're the guys that just get stuff done.
0: I think Meg is correct there. The profession probably could use better marketing. For example, one of the most attractive aspects of the job often gets overlooked and doesn't get a lot of play. It's the impact supply chain managers can have on sustainability. If you care deeply about the issue, you could go and work for an NGO, of course, or you could manage a supply chain and change the world from the inside out and maybe have a much, much bigger impact. Younger generations in particular care a lot about sustainability. Mick happens to know this firsthand.
1: You know, it's interesting. I've got a 26-year-old son. He's one of those typical generation YZ types who, who wants to work for a company, wants to have a career, wants to be able to break that career to do something important, inverted commas, and wants to make sure that the organization that he works for is sustainably driven. And is ethically driven. So he, mm-hmm. he sees that as a really, really key part of what he does in his organization. Mm-hmm. Not being the sustainability manager, but thinking about sustainability and the ethical implications of all the decisions. And young kids now are not averse to standing up in the middle of a meeting and saying, you know, what's the CO2 impacted in what you're just about to do? Mm-hmm. You know, we're working mm-hmm. in China are we, or, or India. Are we sure that we're ethical in the way we're working? It's a perfect opportunity for people to come in and and really start to challenge those things right at the roots, right at the very sort of growth stage of those things.
0: Another huge selling point for young people joining the field could be the use of technology. Supply chains are about to undergo a massive digital transformation process. And this transformation is driven by the technologies that young people entering the workforce right now are already using in their daily lives. Cloud-based platforms, mobile apps, wearables, virtual reality... The next generation of supply chain leaders can't imagine a world without those technologies. To the point where some smart young talent doesn't even have a lot of touchpoints anymore with the sort of old guard, licensed and installed software that used to be the norm inside corporations. Wait till you hear this anecdote from Mick.
1: I was chatting to um, an internet startup company four weeks ago in San Francisco and I mm-hmm. did a little, you know, we had pizza at lunch, as you do out there, and we were I, I did my little, hi, I've done this, and this is, I'm, I'm very old, and I've done all these things. And afterwards, while I was sort of, I, I was just clearing up to go out, uh, uh, one of the, sort of, probably a 22-year-old programmer came in to see me, a uh, young girl, and sort of said, hi, Mick, really, really glad to meet you. You talked about a thing called an ERP. What's an <laughs> ERP? And I said, well, an ERP, you know, like SAP, like SAP. She said, oh yeah, okay, okay. What's SAP? And it was just like it just
0: yeah. put everything yeah. into
1: focus for me. Because these yeah. people, these young kids are just totally building stuff on the outside. They're appified, they're making stuff work on the on the outside of ERPs. And they very rarely delve into what an ERP actually does.
0: I guess the good news is that the old fashioned ERP systems that Mick was just referring to are quickly getting replaced by more user-friendly cloud-based systems that look very much like the social networking tools that young people use every day. But all of this change that is going on does beg one question. How does someone like Mick for example stay on top of all of this and make sure that he doesn't get outdated?
1: Great people around you, honestly. Bring, bring good people into your organization. Refresh those people with younger people every now and then that come in with brilliant ideas. But no, I think it's yeah. about – it's about you do have to do a lot of extracurricular work, reading and understanding and talking. You have to have a great network now.
0: Yeah, yeah. L- lifelong learning.
1: Lifelong yeah. learning is probably the key word. The business now. is so massive now. The business is so – you know, when I started in logistics, it, it was the usual logistics, you know, organizations, DHL, Panopina, K&N, who sat in that little marketplace. You try and look at who – You shout out who's in logistics now in a very crowded room and loads of different people stand up. Some people with systems backgrounds, some people with manufacturing backgrounds, some people that are, you know, collaborative commerce backgrounds. It's a really interesting thing.
0: Make hit on something very important here. The lines between industries and the lines between the different functions inside those industries are becoming blurry and they're dissolving before our very eyes. One of the best examples of this is Uber. Uber's founder, Travis Kalanick, had no previous experience as a cab driver. But his company came in and has disrupted and completely changed that industry forever. And of course, for Uber, taxi rides are just the beginning. The company has its eyes on a much, much bigger price. Global transportation. 20 years ago, a lot of experience and success in a given industry was the best predictor of future success. Today, that same experience can easily be a counter-indicator. And a big obstacle to success. It's kind of like the innovators' dilemma on steroids. Mick had this anecdote to share.
1: Again, I was talking to somebody in San Francisco the other day, and we were chatting over a beer, chatting about the 3PL marketplace. And he says, "You know, I love to I love to sometimes think about the fact that you know somewhere in San Francisco, in a garage, somebody's just borrowed ten thousand dollars off uh, of Kickstarter, and they're they're, they're going to become the next DHL in the next five yeah. years." And it's that's absolutely right. true. That's the sort of marketplace we're in there. We're almost in that, anything's possible.
0: Needless to say, that Mick predicts some pretty big changes for the industry.
1: I think the next three to five years is going to mean supply chain's going to be the most interesting place to be in the next three to five years, you know. There's a tsunami of change that's coming towards mm-hmm. us digital, cultural, socio economic, economic change. It's just thundering towards us. And I think that we're, we're going to have to start to attract some, some really, really dynamic people into the industry to cope with it.
0: Which, of course, raises the question of how organizations can benefit from the best of both worlds, from the young, inexperienced newbies with fresh ideas on one side and from the experienced old dogs that have been around the block a few times on the other side.
1: I think there's a massive opportunity for organizations to really start to look at how they use the more experienced members of their organizations to mentor. I genuinely believe if you talk to any young person, one of the key things they want out of of going into an organization is a mentor. And actually, there's a massive opportunity to have the the sort of, if you like, the outgoing talent mentor, the incoming talent uh, and Mm -hmm. not make the same mistakes that, you know, because we've made all the mistakes, basically. Yeah. All of those mistakes (laughs) we've made. Yeah. And if you can shortcut that process by using the sort of outgoing talent to do that, I think it would be a very, very positive approach. So
0: in light of all those big challenges that lie ahead, if Mick had the chance to do it all over again, would he do it? Would he enter the field of supply chain management in 2016?
1: There's no way that I would have done what I've done in my career, in my long career, if I hadn't come into supply chain. I wouldn't have met the people I've met. I wouldn't have worked with the brilliant companies I've worked with. I wouldn't have been to the superb places I've been to. Because it's Mm -hmm. an absolutely global, totally global uh, uh, profession. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I believe that supply chain is the best job on earth.
0: There you have it. Supply chain management is the best job on earth. And Mick isn't prone to hyperbole, which makes this statement even more noteworthy. During the second part of my interview with Mick, we take a deeper dive into the supply chain of Lenovo and we will have a look at how Mick and his team were able to support the massive growth Lenovo has experienced during his time there.
1: You know, the way that things change, the way that almost on a three-monthly basis you change in direction, you change your products, something else happens, technology enables something else. Unless you can do a what-if analysis on data, you are you're, you're stumbling around in the dark in reality.
0: If you enjoyed today's episode, You can subscribe to Supply Chain Radio on iTunes. Also, feel free to give us a review to let us know how we're doing. Until next time, I'm Boris Felgendria and you've been listening to Supply Chain Radio.